Father, that would be my prayer this morning. God, that I would be at a loss for words, and you know that that's been my prayer all this week. That you would speak. Let your word speak this morning, God, as we spend time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, if you have your phone with the Bible app, is anyone using their Bible app more for than their than their Bible at this point? I, I actually use my Bible app about the same, if not more, than than the Bible. I have I have multiple versions, and it's with me wherever I go, and so it's wonderful. And so, if you're over the age of 18, and I see you with your phone, I'll just assume you're using your Bible. If you're under the age of 18, I know that you're pretending to use your Bible as you text and do your social networking. I have kids. I know what the top of their heads look like. They're not bald like me. <laughs> Woo! Hey, this morning, we are in the book of? Hey, very, very good class. Very good class. Are we recording? Hey, Amen. Let's make sure that's in there. Hey, you know, we, we say this often. There's a couple things that, that, as I'm looking, as I'm flipping, time fillers here. Um, we have a website that has the sermons and other thing, resources on there, uh, so I encourage you to, to go on there and see, see different things happening. Also, this is um, in the front pockets of the seats. There's prayer requests and praise report cards. You know, I need, need to remind us that those are in there. We love to get prayer requests. We have a, a group of people who will take those on, on Monday. When we look at those, we begin to pray over those. And also, um, we want to know praise reports too, so use those. Uh, you can put them in the back box. You can put them in the offering. You know, when it goes by, obviously, it's gone, so just throw it in the back. And so all that, and I found John chapter uh, 14. And so we're going to read a couple verses. We're going to read out of the New King James. And so if you have the New King James, you can look. Otherwise, look right up here, and we're going to read a few verses together. Now, we did the song, Word of God Speak, during the offering, at the, at the offering to really say we want the Word of God to speak. So we're going to read it together, just a few verses and um, we're going we're gonna to see if this, if this works. I think we're not frozen. So here we go. John 14, chapter 12. And here we go together. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. You know, the word of God is powerful. Hebrew says it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is so important to us. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to be familiar with it. We get to know the Father through the word of God that he's given. And I love this passage of, of scripture here because 
the very first part of it says, most assuredly. You know, that's a wonderful word to get from Jesus. Most assuredly. He didn't say hopefully. You know, that, that's a word we use a lot. Hopefully I get a raise. Hopefully it snows. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Jesus is telling us something this morning when he says, most assuredly, wow, what are we about to be assured of? We, we should be excited that Jesus is about to speak to us. And he says a wonderful thing here that we do not believe. We don't believe what he's about to tell us. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Amen. And we don't believe it. Right? Can we, can we just be real and honest? We go, what is he talking about? Greater works than the works of Jesus I am going to do ain't happening in my life. What's the problem? Most assuredly, something must be wrong. D does that sound like your thought process? That's mine. You know, I, again, I'm just, just real. So what is, what is wrong here? Jesus' word is true. So what's the problem? So this morning, we want to talk about these what is greater works? What does he mean? Greater things. And you think about the things that Jesus did while he was here. Right? He, he healed the lame. People who couldn't walk, walked. People who couldn't see, saw. People who couldn't hear, heard. And then let's, not to mention those couple of pesky little instances that are really going to vex us, that we're going to do greater works than these. Lazarus came out of the grave. Three days dead. Four days dead. Lazarus. He raised the dead. The blind saw. The deaf heard. The mute spoke. The lame walked. Greater works will you do. What is he talking about? Well, we want to we figure out here what are greater works. What was the purpose of Jesus doing these things when he was here? Jesus didn't come to do just miracles. He wasn't a miracle worker. That's not what his goal was. You know, you say, well, you know, what, what do people do or what are they? Jesus did miracles. He wasn't a miracle worker. That's not what he was trying to do is just heal people and raise the dead. He did those things to accomplish what he really wanted to do. See, what he really was was a different type of miracle worker. Go with me to Luke chapter 19. Why did Jesus come? That's the question. Did he come to do miracles? Well, if he would have come to do miracles, I think he would have done more. He did a lot. I and mean, we know that he did a lot of miracles. But some of the people that were, were lame and blind and deaf remained blame or blind or deaf until after Jesus left. We know that because the disciples by the gate beautiful, Peter and John, they went up and there was a guy who laid there every day from the time he was young at the same gate and he was still sick. He was still lame after Jesus. So Jesus didn't heal him. He left it for Peter and John. So why did Jesus come? Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did he do miracles? Because it helped people to see that he truly was God. It helped people to see that he had the power. In fact, one time when he was healing, he told the, he told the man, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, they freaked out. Do you remember that? 
He says, your sins are forgiven. He says, what? Blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And what did Jesus says? Listen, to prove to you that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. I said this because then he says, rise up, take your mat and walk. He forgave the sins first and then he proved that he could do it by healing the man. Jesus came and healed the sick to prove that he was God. He healed the sick to tell people, listen, you can put your faith and trust in me. I have the answers. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't come to be a miracle worker and to go on tour doing miracles. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his first primary reason for coming. Now, he gives us a secondary thing that's just as important. And I believe that in it you find his grace and his love for seeking and saving the lost. Go with me to John 10.10. I believe this is the first one, Luke 19. He came to seek and save the lost. But then he came also to do something amazing. I'm going to start at 9 to reiterate why he came. Jesus in verse 9, John 10, 9, says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief doesn't come except to, now take note, this is what the devil comes to do. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Well, that's what the devil comes to do, but what does Jesus say about himself? I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He's coming to seek and to save the lost. And he's come that we might have life and life more abundantly. That's the purpose of Jesus coming. Every time he healed, every time he did a miracle, it was just to point to himself as the God of the universe, creator, healer, and savior. That's why Jesus came. What's the greatest work? Well, I looked around and I didn't see Lazarus last week. Has anyone seen Lazarus walking around? Probably not. It's been 2,000 years. Do you realize that Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave and 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, Lazarus died again? Goodness gracious, can't, do, can't Jesus do anything right? Well, because his purpose was not to raise people from a physical death to a physical life. His purpose was to come and bring spiritual life that never changes. He just did the miracles to say, I have the power to give you spiritual life. I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. And to prove that I can give you life, I'm going to heal the sick. Amen? And then in, in, in John 10, 10, he says, and I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Now, so, so we always go, what does that mean, more abundant or life to the full? NIV, I think, says life to the full. In, in life uh, more abundantly in the New King James Version. The, the word in the Greek, and you know, we're always trying to figure out what, what they really meant. And it's important to know what the word really was because, because sometimes we, we, just, we, we try to interpret it and maybe one, one version does a, a more accurate job. The word was parasos, but the important thing is, is that the, it would mean exceedingly abundantly, above. It means more abundantly. It means that there's an advantage. It's exceedingly, it's very highly, it's beyond measure. It would be used in the word just simply more. And the last one is, is, is a great word. It's superfluous. I always say superfluous. I've been saying, I feel like George W. Bush. Superfluous. 
superfluous. That's, by the way, that is the correct pronunciation. Superfluous. Amen for grammar students. And you go, I've said the word, don't really know what it means. Amen. Well, that's just a little superfluous. I just tried to sound smart. Did it work? I, you know, superfluous was always like, you know, it's, it's too much. It's extra. You know, I, you know don't, don't give me any superfluous instructions. Just tell me, right? Let me read to you superfluous. It means non-essential, redundant, unneeded, excess, extra, leftover, in excess. God has come to give us life and so much life that we have leftovers. It's excess. I mean, I mean, isn't that, isn't that a great picture? I've got, how about if we had superfluous money? You know, I don't just have a lot of money. I've got so much extra that it's unneeded. It's just, just flowing out. You know, blow my nose with money. He came to give us that kind of life, so much life that we go, wow, I have got so much life, I don't even know what to do with it. Who, who could use that? Because when I think of life, I think of, of peace and joy and stability. You know, I don't, th I don't think of money. Not when I think of life, but I do think of, of the things that, that create a, a, a good life. You know, having love, care, and peace. Towards, I mean, that's life. And he wants to come and bring us and give us life abundantly. Life abundantly. Tell him I'll call him later. Wow. Greater things than these will you do. Greater things than these will you do. You know, I have, I have had the amazing opportunity to pray for some people and watch real miracles happen. I mean, there's been a few times. I wish it happened more. And I go, God, why doesn't it happen more? You know, I remember Pastor Mike, and he shared this in, in, in sermons, so this is, this, is, this is public, but there was a time in his life many years ago that he was going and praying for people, there was just a whole bunch of people who were sick in the hospital. And, and, he, and he said he'd go in there and pray for them and they'd die within a day. And like four or five people in like a week or two's time, he went in and prayed for their healing and they died. You know, do you ever feel like that? You know, it's kind of maybe like the, the, the who was it? The pig pen with the thing of dirt flying around you. Going, Man, everywhere I go, I'm just a mess. You know, so I prayed and, you know, people haven't been healed. And, but there have been genuine times that I prayed for people. There was a, there was a girl, a, a woman, she was married to, to this man in the church here. And, and it, I was, we were running a, a, a youth, a kind of a college career group. And we were just having our, our time of prayer. And God put on my heart so strongly to pray for her. Well, they had been told by the doctor that they couldn't have children. This is just, she, she could not have children. Her womb was broken. And they were devastated. They'd been married just a short time. And, and, and so it was one of those moments when God does something that you just, you, you know it's God and you have to do it. Well, you should do it. You know, the other day somebody flagged me down on the side of the road. I was leaving my house. 
He walks up to the side of the car and says, Pastor Rob, does, it, does God ever tell you to do something? And I said, well, yeah, he does. He says, do you do it? <laughs> you know, what a great question because the, the truth is that sometimes we don't. You know, but I says, you know, I try to. I, ho I hope that I do. And he says, well, and, and, he, and he stuffs some paper into my hand and he walks away. Well, he gave me money. God, I mean, he pulled off the road because he saw my truck behind him and he flagged me down because God told him to give me money. Well, he didn't know that I was going away for a couple days and didn't have any money to go. <laughs> and so he, you know, praise the Lord, he paid for your pastor to, to get away and get refreshed for a couple days. I hope it was worth it. I hope I'm refreshed. Okay? And so God told me to pray for this, this girl and it was one of those really strong prayers. And so we prayed and it was, you know, just... We, we prayed, and it, was power, it felt powerful and great. And, and then somebody else says, well, they have the same thing. Let's pray for her. And I said, you pray for her. I don't feel led to. <laughs> Why? Jesus walked by sick people and didn't heal them either. I felt like I had an anointing that day. And they prayed for her, and I joined with them. But there was something different. I felt like I had an anointing. You know, that woman has had a few children. So there's a few times in my life that God really has done miracles. There's a lot more that, that he hasn't, that I've seen at least. And, and I, I go, I don't, I don't get it. But God, God is in the miracle business still. But So what is this greater miracle? Well, like I said, Lazarus is dead again. Everybody that Jesus healed died. You know, the blind man, as he got old, he might have lost his sight again because sometimes when you're old, your sight goes dim, Right? What kind of miracle is that? Because when they died on this earth, finally, when Jesus you know, didn't raise them up, they knew Christ, and they went to heaven. What's the greater work? To see a lost soul come to Christ, to be saved, to be set free from drug addiction or depression or whatever things, to have life and life to the full, that's the greater work. Can we walk in miracles so this will happen? Absolutely. The Holy Spirit is alive and well, and he's living in Big Bear. He's living in your life. So these things will happen, but the greater work is not the miracles, because I don't even know what kind of greater miracles there are than raising the dead. You know, we, I've been part of praying for some crazy things. There was, you know, actually, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I was a little afraid of this one. I didn't, I didn't go and partake, because the pastor up in Oakdale, a, a woman of God died. And for a couple days afterwards, they went over to the mortuary and laid hands on the buildings and commanded her to come out. And I was scared. That was too much for me. But they just, in faith, it didn't happen. I, wouldn't it be awesome if you said, it happened? But they were willing to pray and be obedient to what they thought God was calling them to do. And, you know, and, but what is a greater miracle than somebody who's dead coming back to life? Somebody who's going to go to hell, who now is going to go to heaven forever and absolutely be healed and never cry and never have fears and their body won't decay and corrode. And that's a greater miracle. I'm never going to get through this message. That's the, that's the first quarter of page of my four pages of notes. But this is the important part of the message, really. 
that this is this is really what the, the whole section is talking about, because it's why did Jesus come? You will do greater miracles than these greater things than and he doesn't say miracles, does he? He says greater things than these you will do. Why? I go to my father. Well, that doesn't make any sense. How am I going to do greater things if you're not even here? I mean, maybe if you're like right there, right? You know, if you're just going to show me and walk with me, but you're going to go away and I'm going to do greater things than these. He says, believe in me that I am in the father and the father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. I'm sorry, I went backwards. That was 11. I want to go to 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay, there it is, this beginning. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. 16, and here is the key that's tying this whole section together. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. See, until Jesus went away, he couldn't send us the Holy Spirit. Part of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as Jesus was here, he said, listen, if I don't go away, the other manifestation of the Godhead won't be here. I'm leaving, so he will come, and he will remind you of all things, and he will be in you, and that is how you're going to do greater things. The Holy Spirit is going to come. Now, we, we know that shortly after this incident, Jesus, after he dies and, and resurrects and he walks with the disciples, he, he's walking with them one day and he says, listen, it's time, I'm going. He says, but the Holy Spirit's coming. Go wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Acts chapter 1 and 2. He says, and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so they do. They go and wait and they pray for something they don't understand. I mean, what, what are you talking about? I mean, they, they kind of, they had heard this Spirit of God terms, but what is Jesus really talking about? And so they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And finally, when it happened, they knew. I mean, it, it changed them. Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And I forgot one of my pages upstairs, but I'm just going to go off of this from for memory. I found this wonderful article, and, and, and I can make copies to, uh, available, or maybe we'll even, David, remind me this week, we'll put it on the website so you can go and click on it. But it's 50, um, 50 roles, 50 things that the Holy Spirit is, that the Holy Spirit does. And they're all they're scriptures of, of these things, because when Jesus went away, he left us the Holy Spirit to live in us. Well, one of the things is that he would indwell us. He would live inside of us. He said he would bring all things to our remembrance. He said that he would be the spirit of peace. He'd be the counselor. He would give us power from on high to be his witnesses. It would give us power and dwell us that we might be, have the gifts, of the gifts of the spirit we find in Corinthians. Spirit of prophecy, speaking in tongues, works of miracles. He left the Holy Spirit to do amazing things in our life. And part of those things are, are, are found, I believe, in life. He came to be peace. And he, he comes to bring joy. 
And that's what Jesus said. I'm going away and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. This is important that we understand that there is another expression of the Godhead that Jesus was sending to us. And so what, is, what does he say? And this, this is going to be an abbreviated message on some of these things. And it's not going to be complete. But I want us to just begin to think about this. What does he say? How do we do this? He says in verse, in verse 12. I'm sorry. Um, in verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Verse, yeah, it was verse 12. Most assuredly, uh, John chapter 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. This is key. Believe in Jesus. And I thought, okay, well, do I understand belief? And I, and I think my answer is no. Because I believe in Jesus. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And his disciples believed in him. Because Judas is gone. He's already left. Judas left the building, and he's with his disciples. They believe. But Jesus keeps talking about this belief thing. Chapter 13, chapter 14, he keeps saying, you know, if you believe in me, how do we believe? In John 14, 1, remember, last, a couple weeks ago, we, the very first verse said, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He keeps reiterating this. Verse 12. He reiterates and says, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Luke chapter 9, verse 24, Jesus is talking to the father whose son is sick. And he says, if you believe, and the, and the father says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Luke 9, 24, I believe. I believe, help me with my unbelief. Arr? Huh? That's me. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. See, I believe, but I struggle with my belief. I know what I want to believe. I know what I partially believe. But do I fully believe it? When I got married over 18 years ago, in fact, even when I asked my lovely bride-to-be, will you marry me? I believed that she loved me. Otherwise, I don't think I would have wasted the question. I believe that she loved me. In the 18, 19 years of our marriage, today, I believe more that she loves me than I did then. But I believed it then. I just believe it more solidly. I believe it more deeper. There's something that has happened in our marriage that has caused my belief in her love for me to grow and to be strengthened. It's the same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we believe in him? Yes. But if you stay married, if you stay in relationship, if you work on your relationship with Almighty God next year, your belief in him is going to be a little bit deeper. It's not going to be the same as it is today. And in 10 years, your belief is going to be that much stronger. It doesn't mean that today you don't believe, but within relationship, you're going to see the faithfulness of God and your belief is going to grow. If you believe in me. 
There's a part of us that believes and a part of us that still has trouble with it. I think it's like a journey. Our belief is going to grow deeper. It's going to become more stable. We can grow in that belief. Time is a big one. We have to, we have to spend time with him. Now, would my understanding of Shannon's love for me be stronger than it was 19 years ago if I didn't spend any time with her? If we didn't talk? If we didn't have troubles in our relationship where I, I saw her stick with me even though was, I was just an, a numbskull? No. We had to go through the things together. She couldn't have gone her way and me go my way and, and, let the, and, and go, yeah, you know, our love is just growing stronger. We have to spend time together. And another part, your trust, your belief in God will grow with time and it'll grow if you test him. Can we do that? You know, if God gives you a promise and you stand on the promise, you're testing him. It's in, it's, it's in a good way. You're watching his faithfulness to you and you see him come through. So we have to allow God to have the opportunity to show himself faithful. And I don't mean put him to the test. I hope you don't hear that. But he said he'd be faithful. He said that he would care for us. We have to Put our trust in him and let that happen. Which is really hard because we're so much better at doing it ourselves. Last night at about 8 o'clock or so, I called Zane and left a message on his machine. We didn't have a sound guy for this morning's service. And I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. And so there was just a couple of people left. And when Zane didn't answer the phone, I had to leave a message. And so I said, Zane, if you can come and do sound in the morning, that would be great. I'm not going to call anyone else. So I'll either see you in the morning or I won't. Now, I don't know if it sounded that bad, but when I got done with that, it was so hard for me not to call Gary and cover myself just in case Zane didn't feel guilted into it. <laughs> that, that wasn't my purpose. You know, I, you know, God, will you please do this? But in the meantime, I'm going to cover all of my bases. How much does your belief in him grow when you're covering all the bases all the time? Especially when God's favorite answer, you know, God's, you always say, you know, well, you know, God sometimes says yes, sometimes he says no, but other times he says wait. And I go, I think God's favorite answer is wait. So when I cover all my bases, God, will you do this for me? And I cover my bases. And his answer is, wait, my answer is, uh-uh, I've already covered my base, so thanks anyways, I've got it.
your silence is very reassuring. (laughs) So we spend time and we trust Him. You know, the message from a couple weeks ago was, and we can be just like that, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. We don't know what you're doing. But I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to choose to trust you. We have to believe. Do you believe that I can finish this message in eight minutes? What else does he say? Verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name. So first we have to believe him. Then we have to ask. There's just a portion of the people in this church today Right there, that's the problem. You don't ask for anything. Because you're just going to do it yourself. You know, if, if I ask, it's I'm not a man. And I can do this myself. You know, if I ask, that means that somebody else is going to have control. And maybe deep inside, you actually believe, and I actually believe, that I'm going to do a better job than God. And, you know, there, there's, there's times in my life that I think that that's it. You know, if I let go of this, what if God does it differently than the way I see it in my head? So I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to do it. Because God has made me creative and intelligent and capable. I mean, he's made every one of us this way. And we can do a lot of things without ever talking to him. But unfortunately, we do too many things without talking to him. And we need to ask, whatever you ask in my name, that I, that I will do. And the second part of the verse is important, so we've got to cover a couple of things, and I'll, I'll have to go a little bit quicker here. You know, Bible and Matthew and Luke both say, it says to ask, to seek, to knock. You know, one of the, one of the, ver- the, the version in there, the word, it really kind of implies do it and keep doing it. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking God. Don't just do it one time. That's part of that trusting, you know, just I'm going to keep pressing in God. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep relying on you. I'm not going to ask you once and then take care of it myself. I'm going to keep trusting in you. And I'm going to believe. Ask. How? In his name. Well, I'm going to give you a really, really quick, quick way to say, well, what does that mean? And I, and I hope this sticks with you because it stuck with me from, from 25 years ago, a message from Gail Irwin, who is a pastor, of the Cal- a Calvary Chapel pastor. And he had this series, and one of them was the name of Jesus. And he talked about the name of Jesus. And he, and he remembered the, the time when Moses put, when God put Moses in the cleft of the rock, Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. And he says, and God says to him, okay, but listen, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to cover your eyes. I'm going to pass before you and proclaim my name. Remember that? I'm going to proclaim my name. And he does that. And he says, and when I pass by, then I'll take my hand off your eyes and you'll see me, but only in my backside. And I'll proclaim my name. 
and the backside was gracious and loving and forgiving generations and punishing the wicked. And it was this amazing thing. And that was the proclamation of God's name, but only the backside of his name. What's in a name? Everything. Today we have crazy names that mean nothing. It started with all you hippies in the 70s. Moonbeam. Yeah, I don't know, but names used to mean something. They, they had a real meaning. When parents would, would find names for the kids, they would, they would, you know, really, it would be in relationship or they would find a word that, a name that meant something and they were proclaiming something. And there's a, a generation that is coming back who are looking for those, those names to mean something. What's in a name? So much in the name of Jesus. Because in the name of somebody is wrapped up everything that they are. It's their character. It's their nature. You cannot ask God to do anything outside of his nature. The answer is no. When you're wondering, is God going to do this for me? You just need to say, is this in the nature and the character of God Almighty to do? And if that's not an easy yes, then you need to really be seeking because probably the answer is no. He doesn't do things outside of his nature and character. He doesn't do it just because he loves you. He, he loves you, and because of that, he's only going to answer prayers that line up with who he is in his nature and character. When you ask in his name, you have to ask in his nature and character. Then the answer is yes, because it lines up with what he wants to do in your life. Ask in my name. And there's a second part that lines right up. And he reiterates the same thing that I just said. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. How is God going to be glorified in the Son by answering this question for you? By giving you what you think you need, what you think you want. How is God going to be glorified in it? And if you're as good as me, I can make up a lot of reasons. Oh God, if you just give me all this money, then I'll bless your missionaries. Okay? And I know none of you have ever done that. And we pray that, that, the, that God would be glorified in the Son. Well, why did Jesus come to seek and to save the lost? And we say, you know, I think I, I've got it down, but you know what, God, you've, you're going to have to take this. And we begin to spend time with Him. Some of you, if you've been married for a while and your marriage has grown stronger, you don't buy the same types of gifts you used to for your spouse. I think men are really good at this. You know, when I first got married, I really knew that my wife wanted a new motorcycle. <laughs> you know, and obviously... That I, I didn't go that far, but how about, you know I know that she wants the new 50-inch screen TV. You know, I'm going to do this for her. It's a sacrifice. <laughs> but as we spend time and we grow in our relationship, I pray, and if it hasn't, gentlemen, we should spend some time together and we should talk about what, 
what our wives really need and, and, and know how to really treat them well. Instead, I find myself in the frou-frou stores buying something that I don't even want in my house <laughs> because she likes it and it will bless her. Right? It's about, it's about the Lord. That he might be glorified. God show us. And as you spend time with the Lord, you begin to realize his heart. And not just the outside things. Ask in his name. For those of you who believed I could finish in eight minutes, you were wrong. <laughs> but I will begin to close. Finally, there, there's a point, but I'll make this one quick. In verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, so we have believe. Ask in his name that the Father will be glorified in the Son. That's point two. And the, and the third point in the simple, simple time of Jesus going up, sending us the Holy Spirit, these are some requirements, some things that he wants us to be fulfilling. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But I want you to hear this. It's important. When you read the word keep, see, again, there's grammatical structures in, in words. And in, in the Greek, in this structure, it's not an imperative, do it, keep it. It's, you will keep it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. It's kind of an if-then statement. Remember that from geometry? If this, then this. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. If I love my wife, I will go to the frou-frou store. See, we, we get it so backwards. You go, oh, God. Oh, God, I keep his commandments. What does he want me to do today? No, I spend time with him. And I'm allowing that relationship, and I'm actually working at hearing his heart so that I hear him inside and go, you know what, he doesn't want me to watch that. He doesn't want me to go there. He wants me to give money here. He wants me, and I go, Lord, I love you. I'll do that. It's not drudgery. If it's drudgery, we need to spend more time with the Lord until the drudgery turns into a joy. Spend and you go, oh, I get it now. Some of you have been married long enough. Remember when you first got married, you saw the older people doing some of the things that it says, why do you do that? Oh. Now maybe you've been married long enough, you go, oh, now I, I get it. We have to believe and let that belief grow deeper and stronger by spending time with him, spending time in his word, praying, and not just doing a rote prayer, but talking to him, having conversation with him. We need to find ourselves asking, God, you know, I could probably find an answer to this myself, and I can make something up, but I need something long-lasting. I need something supernatural. So, Lord, will you intervene in this situation? Will you give me wisdom, or will you touch that person's life, or will you bring the right person along to help me with this task, or... or 
Will you show me how to have a better relationship with my spouse or with my kids? God, show me what you have for me. Ask. And the third part is great. Is it's not a do. It's, it's if you're doing these other things, then you're going to find yourself keeping the commandments naturally. That's just a good thing to you that says, oh, I'm close to the Lord. My relationship is growing with Him. I find myself keeping them without even thinking about it. I find myself being grieved if I'm not. And part of that is because the Holy Spirit, Jesus said He would send you the Holy Spirit and He would live inside of you. He would live inside of me. Well, we have an ability to squash the voice of the Holy Spirit if we keep doing it long enough. We can quench the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, just a couple scriptures, we're going to close. 1 Thessalonians, it's right before 2 Thessalonians. You know, we always say, what's the Lord's will for my life? This is an extra part of the message. I'll receive a second offering for this message. What's the will of God for my life? Verse 16, we're going to start there. We're going to key in on verse 19. But I'm going to start in 16 because it's so good. Rejoice always. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for Christ Jesus for you. Start with that. That's an extra. You want to know the will of God? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. I've missed 17. And in everything give thanks. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. That means that you can. You'd never be told not to do something that you can do. Don't quench the spirit. Don't live a life that is putting water on what the spirit is doing. And I believe those things are living the way that is unpleasing to God. Partaking in things that you know are just not what God wants you to do over and over again. When the Holy Spirit wants to do something in your life, just pressing it down saying, I'm just, I just don't want to do that. Don't quench him. In Ephesians 4.30, we won't go there, but you can look it up. It says, do not grieve the Holy do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, Holy Spirit is grieved when a son or daughter chooses to walk into wickedness. That's, that's grief. There's a difference. Sometimes, sometimes we just find ourselves just, I mean, it, it really is almost out of nowhere. Like, oh my goodness, where did that come from? But there's other times, church, and you, we know the difference, don't we? That we make that choice to walk in unholiness and walk in unrighteousness. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Let His life indwell you and speak to you and guide you. Bring all things to your remembrance that He, would, he has taught you through His Word that's going to give you direction and give you peace and give you life and give you power for witnessing and to, to prophesy and to lay hands. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't grieve Him by not obeying when he says, listen, I've got something I want you to do. And just say, I love you. I'm going to keep your commands. They're not burdensome. I know you love me. And you would never ask of me something that would be dangerous or, or bad for me. I'm going to do it because I love you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name we come before you.
We want to come before you in your character and his nature, which means we don't seek for ourselves, but we seek for the kingdom of God. We humble ourselves and submit our lives to you and ask that you would have your way. Jesus, we thank you that you went to the Father so that you could send us the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to walk with us, that we might live in power, that we might actually walk in greater works than you did when you lived on this earth. And in order to do that, Lord, we know that we need to submit our lives to you. We need to spend time with you and believe, learn to believe you and trust you for who you are and what you've said to us. God, we need to put down our pride and ask you, seek your face, knock. Stop trying to do it on our own, but give you control. And Father, as we do these things, we thank you that we'll find ourselves keeping your commandments and they won't be burdensome. We'll find joy and we'll understand the reason why. And from that place, we'll know that the Holy Spirit is living and that then he'll be living through us and greater works will be being happening. Our words will become life to others. We'll have so much life in ourselves that life will begin to flow out from us and touch our neighbors or our relatives or friends. Life will begin to even flow out of us and touch the, the clerk at Starbucks. We'll find ourselves everywhere we go being a light and a witness and helping everyone we come in contact with grow closer to you. Because we're experiencing you. We love you. We're, we're intimate with you. God, today we, we do give you our hearts and our lives. And we say, God, we, we believe that what you have for us is better than what we have for ourselves. So we give you our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.